Welcome everyone to Health 101. And today we are talking about the topic that really is an obsession in our world. It is about weight loss. It is about diet. It is those magic words that everyone thinks about, whether it's swimsuit season or whether it's just fitting into your clothes. People can't get enough and want to know from the doctors what's going on with my body and how do I shed those pounds and which diet actually works and should I be on a diet? Um, and there's all sorts of answers and thoughts. I'm sure Amber Beckenauer, Dr. Amber Be Beckenauer is here and she is coming to talk about let's sift through all this stuff because there is so much out there. And if Anyone else tells me they're on a specialized diet and they can't eat something at my dinner party, I am going to lose my gasket because I'm mm -hmm. never sure what I'm supposed to cook. You know, I have friends who are on keto, Whole30, paleo, Mediterranean. I mean, there's a diet for everything going mm -hmm. on right now. Agreed. Agreed. And I think that's what's, what the hardest part is in media is that they are leading you to believe either may it be a Pinterest article or an internet article, everybody's way is the best way. Or you want to do what your neighbor's doing because they just shed 30 pounds and now I'm going to try and follow that. And then they end up in my office and say, but I did all of those things, but they lost 30 pounds and I haven't even lost. And a lot of people say I've gained, I've gained five or 10 pounds. And I think that's the first thing we need to do is really take away the comparisons, take away all the media and go to your physician and ask for help because losing weight and doing what's best for a healthy lifestyle is based off multiple factors. It is based off your lifestyle and what your goals and needs are and what your genetics are and, you know, what your current conditions are if you have diabetes or if you just have dyslipidemia, so high cholesterol numbers. It's really an individualized plan. And one of the main things that people that aren't having success is they didn't individualize their plan. They tried to follow what everybody else did because it worked for them. And I think sometimes um, we're naive to know that maybe that person went and got help and they didn't tell you. Or um, maybe they're just really good at losing weight. You know, most guys lose 30 pounds in, what, a month? And right. all of us women are like, stop it. That's not fair. Right. Because yeah. men do lose weight faster. That, they do. That is, they burn quicker. Is it just because they burn more muscle? What is it going on in no, our gender I, difference? Ben, uh, men just, it works good for them. But, you know, one of the things um, I tell people all the time, if you're a larger person, your weight's going to come off quicker at the beginning. So if you have more weight to lose, I might have those people come back and they've lost 15 pounds and we're like doing Rocky, jumping mm -hmm. up and down and so excited for them. And then you have somebody that only had 10 pounds to lose to hit their goal and they're losing a pound a week and they're really frustrated. But the, again, that's why it's not the comparison game because if you have more to lose, it's going to come off faster at the beginning and we're going to have to tweak a lot more as we get to those smaller numbers. But men, another reason is they really metabolize quicker. They never have problems going to the bathroom, really. Um, women, a lot of women have constipation or they have diarrhea. And so we have a lot of IBS stuff going on with women and a lot of gut health. Um, men, I don't really see that as much. It really, when it comes to men, it comes to their plate size. Like they, I will have men come in all the time and they may not have seen me for weight loss options, but I'll ask them how they lost weight. And they'll say, I literally went to the cupboard and I took a smaller plate out and I started eating off that for a while um, because they just eat larger portions. And so once they trimmed those down, they were able to cut weight quicker. We always talk 
or we always hear really about portion sizes being part of our obesity mm-hmm. epidemic in our community in our country and we talk about over processed foods being mm-hmm. an issue is it about that do you think for some of your patients or is it just about how we approach this whole thing about deprivation as a mechanism to drop pounds. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things when people come into my office right away, I I tell them, like, stop looking at calories. You know, I don't need you to lose weight off a 500-calorie diet. You're never going to sustain that. You'll stop. You'll get hungry. You'll want to eat. You're probably burning your muscle. You're not even burning your fat. I mean, there's just a lot of wrong things with that. That's one reason I've just never been a fan of the HCG diet. It's Mm -hmm. just not normal to give yourself HCG and eat a 500-calorie diet. At some point, you're not going to be able to sustain that. Um, so one of the first things we do with people is just look at where where are you going wrong. I have them show me their four, five, six-day log. They'll email it to me, and I'll just start picking things out of it because it may be that some of those people are supersizing their meals, or it may be that um, – Maybe it's not supersizing, but they're eating not very many calories, but the foods, the actual quality is not very good. And so I'll just start picking little things and making it easy. Going back to the dinner party comment you had, that's the one thing I make sure every woman knows that comes to my office because they're the ones that tend to go off and cheat and say, well, I gave it up because I just really wanted those brownies. I drill into their mind that you are not going to quit eating normal food. Like you can have a brownie. You can have a ice cream cone with your kid because it is their birthday. Like, don't take away those moments because a lot of America, our moments are around food or doing those things with our kids or family. What I try and tell them is you will not even want those foods once your gut health is better and once you've started to take out those processed foods and refined sugars. When your whole um, microbiome starts to change, you can look at a plate of brownies and you might have a bite and there's so much sugar in it, you're kind of sick or maybe you're running to the bathroom or maybe you have a headache because you can taste all the sugar. But as you start to change little by little, your whole microbiome changes and you actually don't even have those cravings anymore. But I, I'll just pick out little things at a time. Where it, may it be I have a patient that she's diabetic, A1C rose to 11. She's had a heart attack before. I said, we've got to stop this. We can't keep going. Just tell me what you're eating. And she told me, and she luckily works at Children's, and so she can eat in the cafeteria, and there's food there to, to go pick. It went from just taking all those carbs out of her breakfast meals, and I said, you know, have an egg, have bacon, have these proteins, but don't have these carbs. And once she mastered breakfast, then we went to lunch and so on. And she, in like two months, was down 40 pounds. A1C was to eight. Three points in two months. Because what was funny is she was looking at me. She's like, oh, I can do that. Well, why haven't you? Well, I guess I didn't know those two changes would really make a difference. So people don't know until you start looking at their individual diet and customizing it to them. So, you know, you can still eat bacon. You can still have that piece of cake at your granddaughter's birthday, but you're not going to want that cake anymore. Once you start eating better and you feel better, and and it's true. I mean, she's already kind of nagging her husband, like, when are you going to jump on board? And he's upset because she doesn't eat anything fun anymore. But she's like, I I just don't want it. And now I know that's not healthy. Um, That mental mindset wasn't there two months prior. So it's, it's really crazy. You can feel the change when you start it. 
Let's talk about carbs because you mentioned that mm-hmm. she's not eating carbs for breakfast. And and I think carbs kind of continue to be this weird space for a lot of people because a lot of the more popular and the most maybe studied diets, like the Mediterranean mm-hmm. diets, tend to really lower the amount of carbs you yep. do eat. And and is really are, is that what we're finding is that carbs are kind of our problem as a whole societal issue? I think that it's processed food and refined sugar is the whole problem. I hate to say carbs because I also get a lot of people that roll into my office and they focus on gluten because mm-hmm. gluten was a huge thing, right? right? And there are a lot of people that are celiac positive, but there's more people that are gluten intolerant and they're not celiac positive. They just can't hand, handle gluten or... It worked for their neighbor to come off gluten and they feel so much better. We tend to see gluten-free diets work best for autoimmune patients. So Hashimoto's thyroid patients and um, lupus and Crohn's disease and all of these things because what's happening is that gluten is just too big of a particle and it's inflaming the gut. It doesn't like it. It sees it as an offender. So your body starts fighting against it. Well, one of the main things people don't realize is the more inflammation you have in your body the harder it is to lose weight. And so as a whole, I guess, and that's why you should go to your doctor because you can look at the whole picture, we might have someone that's eating correctly and doing great. And when I say correctly, they're losing weight, they feel good. It could be some carbs, some fats and proteins. It may not be just low carb in general. But maybe the last like little piece of the puzzle for them is they have eczema, or they have another autoimmune disease and they still just don't feel their best or they're still having some systemic symptoms. And for them, taking gluten away and doing more of like a paleo, a whole foods, a Mediterranean, that's going to be better for them because it's going to lower their inflammation level. And when inflammation levels lower, then weight starts coming off. Your body is just constantly working hard, your immune system to fight, fight, fight. And you can't use your calories that you want to burn and energy you want to burn on weight loss, if that makes sense. Because it's really a metabolism Mm -hmm. issue of how fast your body is Mm -hmm. burning and what it's burning, isn't it? Absolutely. That's why the calorie problem is, it's like, oh, I, I just don't like to hear it. Because one, you're starving yourself. And two, you're not even burning fat, you're burning muscle. Um, and so that's tough. So now in the kind of hand in glove part of this metabolism obsession of, you know, high intermittent fasting or whatever they're calling it, Mm -hmm. where people are eating only so many hours of the day and not eating the rest of the time, um, because they're trying to rev their metabolism Mm -hmm. or people are eating certain things to try to rev the metabolism. A, can you from outside sources, change your body's metabolism? Is that a, you know, is that a changeable factor? Yeah, you can, you can change your metabolism. You can change your gut microbiome. You can do all kinds of things by just changing and tweaking a little bit of um, changes in your day. But the intermittent fasting thing really is amazing. Um, If you haven't read the obesity code by Jason Fung, Dr. Jason Fung, It's an amazing book. It's a really long read. Sometimes uh, I recommend people to listen to it on audio just because they can kind of come in and out as they need to because it's a lot of dense information. But in summary, what it's saying is give your body a break for all those hours. Let your pancreas recover. You won't have insulin resistance. Your body will be able to use that insulin and process those sugars. And so that's how it's working. It's just you stopped putting things in the gut and for the body to break down and you gave it time to process and then even move that food through the gut and get rid of it before you start adding more in. 
So I, I'm working with my, I have three sons right now and one of them's 12 and you know, that adolescence is that age where they just grab anything out of the cupboard. Right. And so we really have to focus with him this summer because he's home alone. And so we come home and would either see the trash can full of wrappers or maybe he cooked, you don't know. And so what I tell him is, okay, you can eat what you want to eat as long as it has less than 30 carbs in it and less than 10 sugars. If it has more than that, the only other thing you can have with it is protein. And I had to do that because... One, it teaches them how to read a nutritional label early because that's one thing that I never got growing up. When I grew up, it was like macaroni dinners mm -hmm. and, you know, whatever. And so we didn't really realize how bad the processed foods were back then. Everybody was starting to get into this mad rush of mom's working and dad's working and um, competitive sports started really picking up. And so we didn't read nutritional labels. And I feel like as a physician, that's the one thing I need to teach my kids because I can't be with them all the time. And we get into these things where we forget that a juice has calories and sugars in it. Like, I know it's a drink, but there's other things in that versus water. And that's very simple and basic things, but a lot of people don't realize that that counts. And so teaching him that 30 and 10 is your rule, you can't have anything else with that unless it's a protein. And I explain to him what proteins are, or I tell him you can have a veggie with it. But I tell him, but don't not let yourself eat something over the 30-10 it's just if you do that, you're done with for the day on desserts or anything higher than that. And the reason I'm doing that is because if he has a 30-10, his body is going to – he's going to process that. It's going to not be too overwhelmed, especially since he has high metabolism. But when you start packing on a granola bar with some chips and one other thing that our 12-year-olds want to sit and eat – then you've got like 100 grams of carbs already and multiple sugars, and your body can't keep up with that. And so that's what we're tending to do. We'll go to McDonald's or we'll go out to dinner and we'll have four rolls at Texas Roadhouse. And don't get me wrong, I love those rolls. But I mean, there's a lot of difference between having one roll versus four or having that one roll and having a steak and green beans. Because I tell my patients that, don't not have that roll. That roll's amazing. But you better have steak and green beans or a chicken breast and green beans because there's like barely any carbs in that. So I start teaching them what is a carb and what your macronutrients are. So then they don't have to deprive themselves. And that goes to even our kids, teaching them those labels and giving them one simple thing to follow. Because when I started talking, he's like, oh, you're like vomiting medical knowledge and I don't know <laughs> what you're saying. So I just said, okay, 30-10. That's all you have to do for me. And I'm not kidding. Um, the I do that for some of my patients, and just that alone, 10, 12 pounds drop off. Um, so it's about making things simple. And also, thank you so much to Children's Hospital and Medical Center for supporting this podcast. This podcast is generously supported by Children's Hospital and Medical Center. Children's is the only full-service pediatric health center in Nebraska, providing expertise in more than 50 pediatric specialty services to children across the region and beyond. It is home to Nebraska's only Level 4 newborn intensive care unit and the only Level 2 pediatric trauma center. Nationally, Children's is recognized as a best children's hospital by U.S. News & World Report. To meet the growing demand for high-quality pediatric services, Children's is growing to better serve more children and families. Its new clinical facility, the Hubbard Center for Children, opens in 2021. Learn more at childrensomaha.org. It's also about being conscientious, too, yeah. about... Yeah. Because I think I know 
stress eating. You know, there's the unconscious eating of I'm sitting in front of the TV and, oh, look, I took the whole bag of popcorn with me and I just feed. Which rolls into whole person healthcare, Mm -hmm. right? So whole person thinking would be your doctor or your provider would be looking at you, listening to all of those facts and saying, do we need to do your diet and roll you into mental health counseling to deal with what's causing you to eat like this? Do we need to roll into some hormones because you're postmenopausal and we need to give you some of that back so you're not deficient? And then maybe even your eating and your fatigue and your mental clarity will be better. Do you have a thyroid disorder that's not diagnosed? Do we need to do antidepressants, although everybody hates them and it's a stigma? Some people, that's what they need. And it's okay. It doesn't have to be the answer to everything. We see that a lot in conventional medicine, but that is still an okay route if that's where we are and nothing else is working. So yes, stress eating is huge for our population, but you've got to have someone to recognize that because those are all cofactors that you have to bring into the mix when you're treating someone. Because I'll give somebody an easy diet or even set it up and they'll follow it and still they'll fail. And it's because I missed something. Oh crap. I, you know, should have sent them to counseling because they're doing this. And then on that third day, they're just eating the whole house. Or, you know, there are things called binge eating disorders. And a couple years ago, um, they FDA approved Vyvanse, which is an ADD medication. And they started seeing that, okay, ADD patients have a real hard time with overeating. And that's because they're multitasking squirrel, 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 And they can't focus on just eating their meal and saying, hey, my brain says I'm done. No, they keep eating and they're doing this. And then pretty soon they're overweight. And so what they found was Vyvanse, that stimulant makes them focus. They eat what they need to eat. There's no more binge eating. And people do really well on that. So you have to have a whole toolkit um, to use on your patients and know what those options are so you can throw those out when they need a bone. Because sometimes people need help too. You just, because of the ADD thing, it made me think about once upon a time, they used to tell people to A, either only eat when you're hungry, mm-hmm. B, that to try drinking water before you eat because you're mo- more likely to be dehydrated, yep. or C, to snack throughout the day in small meal portions because it's better than eating singular meals, yep. big meals. What about any of that is true to what we know today? Is it all still true or is it just based on each person and how they approach food? Well, that's that's what's really neat about that book, The Obesity Code, is he takes all of the last 20 years of, you know, like the cardiac diet mm-hmm. where we used to tell everybody to eat low fat and how actually all these uh, cardiac patients got worse, their lipid scores got worse. And they he takes down the, hey, let's eat six meals a day. And he does all of that. And he explains why it's not good. But it really comes down to the multiple eating throughout the day. We never give our body a chance to fast, right? We're just always making our pancreas work. And so the fasting does come into play and works a little bit better than having those small meals. The only people I really recommend that for are my big weight trainers or um, my athletes because they are. They're burning all day long and they'll get lightheaded. They'll get hypoglycemic. And so I do want them to eat a little bit as we go throughout the day all day long. But most of us aren't college athletes and aren't going to the gym every single day for two hours. So I don't recommend that we all eat six small meals a day. Um, Eat when you're hungry. Like you said, water is key because when a lot of us, as I'm sitting here with my Starbucks, we want to grab a different drink instead of water. 
Um, but I do even that with people. I'm a, I'm a dark roast, a little half and half person. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want a latte or any of that because there's like five and 600 calories in those. All that extra sugar. Again, people don't realize drinks, how much calories and sugars are in drinks, even alcoholic drinks and, and all of those things. So no, eating multiple meals throughout the day, again, keeps our body working really hard to try and burn that. Amber, what's the difference between when it's medical underlying factor. I mean, I know age plays a factor in where your body holds on to weight. Um, But I also know your thyroid is huge among some of the issues of why people feel that, oh my gosh, I I just, this is not coming off and this is just coming on. Yeah. Um, I do. I really, that's that's tough because I think that kind of like celiac disease, when something becomes big and it's an aha moment for someone because they've been feeling so bad for their whole life, that really hits the news, right? So when someone finds out they're celiac and everything starts <coughs> falling into line, they understand why they felt this way and, and why eating did this to them, then people are like, well, maybe I'm celiac. Same with thyroid. Wow, so-and-so got on their thyroid medicine and maybe I have a thyroid disorder I see so many people come in and they're almost upset when their thyroid numbers are normal. However, there are a lot of people out there that their thyroid isn't normal. And we pick that up and people are like, oh, you know, good, because now they are eating healthier. We're helping them do that. And it is coming off like it should. And it's life changing, you know, dry hair, thin nails, can't poop, can't sleep, feel tired all the time. Those are huge for people, especially when you're trying to motivate yourself for a diet. So when we find that, that's good. But there are a lot of contributing factors with thyroid and some of it can be stress and just your immunity levels. And so we'll see a lot of autoimmune thyroiditis get missed because the antibodies aren't getting checked or maybe it was subclinical. They have all the symptoms and their numbers just aren't to that out of reference range yet. Those are people that I weigh all the factors. You know, you have subclinical and you have X, Y, and Z going on too. This makes sense that you may not be there today, but in a year you will be. We need to treat now and start getting you feeling better, bring down your lipid panel, your triglycerides, get you a little motivation. And and we monitor everybody in that goal range of one to two. We do everything safely. Last thing we want is people in AFib. But we do recognize the people that you're not out of reference range by 0.5 points. We're not going to make you wait. You know, part of doing what's right for the patient is picking up on what they're telling you and knowing when somebody might be just saying that because X, Y, and Z next door got this versus this is real. You know, when you're a clinician long enough and you look at the full lab panel you get the full medical history and the patient sitting there and it all makes sense. It's like, this is somebody that needs thyroid medication. You know, most of the people that get missed or aren't treated right away, it's too bad because everything was in the books, right? The mom, the sister, someone else, they all had thyroid problems. You had somebody else that had a miscarriage. There's autoimmunity issues. And, and it's like, yeah, when we weigh everything, I know that number doesn't seem right, but there's a lot more info and um, just factors that you have to take into consideration. Well, you gave those diagnoses or those symptoms of not sleeping well, being tired all the time, uh, those things. And, you know, and the first thing that hit my brain was, well, I hear those are symptoms of stress, like stress Mm -hmm. cortisol production, Mm -hmm. because you see the commercials and everyone talks about your belly fat. And they talk about adrenal fatigue, right? Which is an HPA Mm -hmm. axis dysfunction. and, And adrenal fatigue is just an easy layman's term. And it scares a lot of doctors off. But 
really you don't have to do anything out of some grand medical scope or even that's not FDA approved. It's just knowing what's causing that, right? Like you just said, Carol, it's stress. What things can we start eliminating or even diseases can we start fixing so your body isn't stressed anymore? You know, um, those things all make a huge difference. And then exercise because muscle weighs more than fat. Mm -hmm. And so that also changes your ability to, especially if you're obsessed with the number on the scale. I had a patient this week (laughs) that it just happened. And that is a lot of what I do on a daily basis is reassurance and knowing when I'm wrong. Like, okay, I I can give them reassurance, but I think they're right. Like this isn't going to work and we have to divert and go a different path. But there are a lot of people that reassurance is needed because it really is working for them. It's just they're an inches person. They're not a pounds person. Like I have a lady that's got a great build that is just more stout and muscle than she is like this little petite thing. She'll never be the little petite thing. And I think she's okay with that, but she's just really mad her number isn't dropping. And I just had to explain to her, you you know you're never going to be the little petite thing, and that's not even what you want. You just want 15 pounds of weight loss. We just might see inches before we see weight, or maybe we just – or numbers, or we may never see numbers. We might just see two or three inches lost. What's going to, you know, be okay with you? And she's like, you know, now that you say that, inches are okay with me because I can feel it in my bra. I can feel it in my pants. I can feel the difference. And, and then after we talk through that – if she can't handle that, that might be a time where counseling is needed because now maybe we have some self-image issues and and that can stem back from, you know, just family of origin issues. I mean, those are all things you just have to know. And that's you knowing your patient population too. Well, and, and knowing what those patients are getting exposed to because obviously yeah. the scale has existed for a long time and people get very fixated they do. on those numbers because um, – and even – you know, in some ways, the way you're talking, it makes the BMI scale questionable because it really is a calculation. How tall are you versus how much weight Mm -hmm. you are? And, you know. So that's funny you say that (laughs) because BMI is just, to me, just another one of those reference ranges for labs, right? So I deal with a lot of polycystic ovarian syndrome patients, so PCOS. (laughs) And those patients are really difficult to manage because they have a lot of hormone things going on, a a lot of endocrine. But one of the things they have that is abnormal is testosterone production. And I had a gal this week came in and said, well, you know, I didn't meet the PCOS criteria and I didn't get any management for it because my testosterone wasn't out of range. But I had to explain to her that our reference ranges are made up of like, you know, thousands of people that may not have any symptoms and their number was 2 to 45 And so we said, hey, none of these people have symptoms and their numbers range from 2 to 45. So we're going to take 2 to 45 as our reference range. You know, are there people in that reference range that felt bad too? Did we just call them outliers and then that didn't count? You know, we all have our own set balance, our own homeostasis. And if 20 is okay for me and I feel great, then great. But if 26 or 46 and this person feels terrible and they have chin hair growth and they have a ton of central obesity, then that's probably not a normal number for them. Um, That's why reference ranges are a fluke, but you got to start somewhere. You can't just take a stab. So BMIs are like that too. BMI, yeah, maybe I should be 21 to 25, but you have to look and see how much muscle I have too. Um, maybe 27 is healthier for me because I've got to 23 and I look like I'm not eating for days. Um, so, yes, you have to be able to just eyeball that and see what's best for the patient. 
It really is about each individual body and each individual mm -hmm. person, what their bodies perform at peak performance, right? Yep. That's why you shouldn't go into it alone because we have people doing crazy stuff. Vegan and they shouldn't be vegan. Um, fasting and not eating enough calories. And people are getting really sick because they're deficient on vitamins and they're passing out or having heart palpitations. or you know That is why you should really be doing it with a medical professional. May it be a doctor, an NP, a PA, whoever your person is, you should do it with them, with their plan. Well, and you should be at least, if you think you're maintaining a healthy diet, because mm -hmm. most of us like to pretend or think that we're eating mm -hmm. decently, um, at least make sure that you tell your doctors what you're eating or how your diet yeah. works because... Yeah, because sometimes we don't start asking those questions until something shows up on your lab work. Right. Then we're like, what exactly are you doing? And then they tell you, like, ah, oh, how come I never asked you that before? You know, sometimes we don't know to ask until we start seeing something not following a certain path. Because then, I feel like I don't often, I think a lot of people don't think about telling their doctors, hey, you know, I've been trying to yeah. drink this turmeric lemon juice in the morning yeah. and, you know, and eat a liquid cleanse every three months or whatever yes. it is you're doing. Yes, I, I see that a lot. The minute you start to do something or even maybe get a pre-op ready mm -hmm. or something like that and you ask for a med list and then all of a sudden mm -hmm. there's eight supplements from over the counter and mm -hmm. you're like, how long have you been taking these? Because some of these interact with your medications, you know, and we don't want you under anesthesia on those. And so, yeah, we do a lot of things not thinking it matters, just like Benadryl and ibuprofen and Tylenol, they can be really safe over the counter. But there's a lot of times where it's not safe. You know, in an elderly person taking Benadryl every night, you can get urinary retention, mental fogginess, and dementia. I mean, there's things that we can take over the counter that can really hurt us. And so we need to remember that, that it's not just about going and picking something up and trying it. So, so even what we think is safe may not be safe. We have to really yeah. be cognizant of what we're doing and, and communicate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's tough because, you know, everybody walks around typing on their phones and looking down. So we really need to work on communication. Oh, Amber, I am like thinking my brain is racing now with all of this stuff. Thank you so yeah. much for the wise words. Yep, you're welcome. For giving us all kind of a thought for how we approach how we eat, how we approach the numbers mm -hmm. that seem to, you know, tell us you're healthy, you're not healthy and, yeah. and really making us feel like, we need to own where our bodies and, and be comfortable in our skin. Yep. You do you. I tell people that all the time. Focus on you. Amber, thank you so much. Yep. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us, everyone. We'll see you next time. A Parkville Media Production. The information shared in this podcast is for informational purposes only. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the presenters and do not represent the thoughts, advice, or opinions of the Metro Omaha Medical Society. The information contained in this podcast should not serve as the basis for any medical treatment and is not intended to be a substitute for actual medical advice. Before making changes to your health care plan or a loved one's, always consult with a health care professional.